welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 226, The Editing Team, an interview with Sarah Megabo and Alicia Whistler, coming to you on Thursday, December 10th, 2020. We are on week two of five of an entire month of talking about editing. And no matter what kind of writer you are, if you're at the beginning or well into your writing career, if you are in the middle of writing or editing a book right now, or if you're in between, if you're writing fiction or nonfiction, all of this month, the episodes are going to have something that you can use and probably a lot of somethings that you can use to make the next step of your journey a little bit smoother, a little bit easier, and hopefully make your writing a little bit better. So in today's interview, we talk about a lot of wonderful tips coming from an agent and a debut author working together uh, to create, obviously, debut author, her first book. <laughs> now, as Alicia said, this isn't the first book that she's ever written, but she has got some really interesting tips for what you can do as you're getting your book ready to send to your agent or to send to an agent if you don't have one yet. Um, what happened uh, when it went to the uh, editor at the publishing house and then all the way to the book is now on the shelves and it is right now. Uh, Rescue Me is on the shelf. You can buy it in print ebook and audiobook format. I've been reading the ebook and loving it. <laughs> it's making me feel a little bit more motivated to get some exercise in the morning. I'll just let you uh, look into the book so that you can see why I'm suddenly, yeah, a little bit more motivated. Um, but I'm also feeling good because the main character, she's like, like, yeah, maybe I've gotten a little chubby lately, but I'll just work it off. I'm like, yes, if she can do it, I can do it. See, and that's what a great story does. A great story to me helps people be lifted up in some way to see that life is actually maybe not as, fill in the adjective here, um, negative as it is positive. And that there's always something that we can do that makes us feel like, oh, I'm not the only one, or you know what? Yeah, I could try a little harder on this. And there's a lot of great writing tips that also are a part of this episode that will help you to think, oh yeah, okay, this is how I could make my book a little bit better. And that's what we want this editing month to be. So we've got three more weeks of great editors talking to us, editors and agents all month long. Uh, and today is going to be a really fun, conversation with an agent and an author. So listen up, get out your pen and paper or get ready to text the notes into your phone. There's a lot of great tips here. And I think that you're going to find this a fun and very interesting, very helpful conversation. So here is Sarah and Alicia. Today's guests are Sarah Megabo and Alicia Whistler. Sarah Megabo is a literary agent with KT Literary out of Highlands Ranch, Colorado. She has worked in publishing since 2006 and represents New York Times bestselling authors, including Margaret Rogerson, Ronnie Loren, Rebecca Roanhorse, and Casey McQuiston. She specializes in launching debut authors and working on long-term career development and profit strategy with them. She's a graduate of Northwestern University with degrees in women's studies, gender studies, and American history. Always LGBTQ, always queer friendly. I, I tried to do it. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> Alicia Whistler <laughs> is the author of Rescue You and other coming titles in the Dogwood County series. She was raised in Texas, Italy, Alaska, Mississippi, Nebraska, Hawaii, and Virginia, a true military family. Her nomadic life made storytelling a compulsion from a young age. Her work as a mother, a massage therapist, and a CrossFit trainer informs her stories, making her dedicated to portraying strong women. She lives in Virginia with her family, including her large brood of cat and dog rescues, who vastly outnumber the humans. Welcome, Sarah and Alicia. <laughs> Thank you, Kitty. Hi. Hi. Hello, Alicia from the gym. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we were all just laughing beforehand for the, the words that um, I can totally pronounce when the camera is not rolling and then <laughs> suddenly cannot do it for the life of me. Oh, That's so. okay. I, I can never spell the word, unfortunately. I always, always mess that one up. Unfortunately, it, like if there wasn't autocorrect, I would always spell it wrong. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I went through like a five-year span of adding an extra C in exercise and looking at it, knowing it was wrong, but absolutely determined to say that it was right. And, and then the C went away. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alicia, welcome. Debut author. Woohoo. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> Hi. So I'm just excited because you are live right now with me live from the gym where you're a CrossFit trainer, right? That's correct. And there is a lot of, I don't know if it's really cross CrossFit exactly, but there is a lot of really strong people working out in ways that make me feel very wimpy when I'm reading your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never actually call it CrossFit in the book. And I did that on purpose. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, everybody who, who reads it, in the reviews or in conversation are always like, Oh yeah, there's CrossFit in there. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. that's essentially, that's essentially what they're doing, but I never call it that. Yeah. I did one of those, uh, free workouts. I, they probably had a free week too, but it only took me one workout to know, okay, if your goal <laughs> is to get me to work as hard as until I throw up, but not to go past that point, you're probably not finding a good match with me because I definitely don't want to work until I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I don't blame you. And for the record, I've never thrown up here. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> nope. if I, if I ever get to nope. Virginia, I can work out with you maybe. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. Just for the record, CrossFit's all about functional fitness. It's not about throwing up. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of like the, you might get there and most likely will not, but that's, that's not what it's all about at the end. You know, um, one of your characters used that term in the book, and I was wondering what's what's the short definition of functional fitness because it sounds like something I probably want to be. Yeah, have. it's it's fitness that you can translate to everyday life. So, for example, you may come in here and execute a deadlift, and then you're going to go home and you're going to squat down to lift up your groceries, and basically you're 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 deadlifting your groceries or you're deadlifting your grandchild. And it's supposed to be fitness that is useful and that can apply to real life with the end goal being staying as healthy and self-sufficient for as long as possible. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So I love that scene right at the beginning of the book where, so Rescue You has sisters, Constance and yeah. Sunny, and they're sitting in the restaurant and um, Sunny's reaction to the idea of this exercise is, why are you going to the crazy gym where they're tossing tires down the road? And Constance's <laughs> reaction is, Oh, that's what the tires are for. <laughs> like two totally different reactions to this kind of workout. Yeah. I love that. 
I have a picture of the book, by the way. Yeah. Oh, if you're not watching on YouTube, that's a beautiful picture. Isn't it gorgeous? Oh, wow. Rescue You by Alicia Whistler. Anyway, sorry. I just had to interject because that tire yeah. part was so funny. Like, oh, yeah. that's what you used <laughs> So I, I assume that there was a lot of deadlifting of turkeys lately. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> well, listen, okay. So you and I were all talking the end of November, but we're talking about my big December editing kind of bash. So um, hundreds of thousands of people have been writing crazily during National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, and then all the other people who are just writing on their regular schedule. <laughs> and I thought, you know, one of the things that um, can be a real problem is and regardless of how fast you wrote and how many times you wrote the words, I don't know what to write, what, what to write, but I'm going to keep on typing because I need to hit 50,000 words. I, I did that a lot my first couple of nanos. And then you have to go through and find them all and take them all out. And that's, that's step one of editing a nano book, right? <laughs> but so here we are, we've got a book. And uh, sometimes, even if you've written lots of books before, sometimes you're still looking at it going, okay, because every book seems to be, I don't have kids, but, but every book seems to be like a kid. They're all different. And some of them have a lot of similarities. And then you'll have one that you're just like, I don't know what happened. I don't know how you got here. So I thought it would be great for us to talk about editing all month. And you guys came up with this brilliant idea to talk about it from the standpoint of a debut author and the agent who was representing the book. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, so, Kitty, I, I love this idea of a whole month about talking about editing because it's, like you said, it's different per book. Alicia, what I want to start with is sort of the process from the middle to the end, if that's okay. So can you tell me, we got an offer from Margot Mallinson, who is an editor at Mira Books, which is an imprint of Harlequin, which is owned by HarperCollins. So we will call that Mira Harlequin HarperCollins, but we won't do that every single time we say it. <laughs> so awesome. Margot, Margot gave us an offer. And can you tell us a little bit about like, what did she say on the phone when we first talked? Like, what did she relate to in the book? What were her editorial suggestions, if you remember? And then talk, talk us through the process of like the next, was it maybe 12 to 18 months of editing and preparing the book for publication? Okay, so yeah, we got the offer and I remember uh, Margo herself and everyone in the team, because it really is a team effort at the end of the day. They, of course, they all really like the dogs. Let's be honest. Nice. Here. <laughs> yeah. They, they are all like, we, who doesn't love dogs and rescue dogs? And, you know, so of course everyone was drawn to that, but if, you know, that wasn't the only thing because there's dogs and cats and in a lot of books. Um, but they also liked the, um, the idea of uh, anybody being able to rescue anybody else. So you could be the smallest weakest quote-unquote creature like a little rescue dog who maybe was abused maybe was neglected maybe has a lot of hurdles to overcome could end up rescuing this big strong burly marine corps veteran who doesn't really maybe even know he needs some rescuing so they really like that aspect of anybody can be a hero in this book and i think that that was at the end of the day what was the biggest draw because actually margo named the book I, I had it called something else. And Margot is she like, she's like 
like a, a title witcher. I mean, she's like so good <laughs> at thinking up titles and she came up with that title and that's obviously captures, it distills the entire book down to two words and it was perfect. And I think that's what they were drawn to. Um, but after that, after uh, the deal was made, um, uh, she spent some time with the book and then when she got it back to me, she had editorial suggestions for me. They were at the first part were, um, broad content editorial suggestions. I honestly didn't have that many um, because uh, it's probably why I've never been real great at nano. <laughs> I do, I, I'm not good at throwing words down and keeping moving till it's down. I'm a two steps up, one step back, two steps up, one step back type of writer where I edit as I go. So by the time Margot got it, it was pretty clean and she didn't have a whole ton of suggestions. However, what she did suggest, I took. And I think that's a really smart thing to learn if you're a newer author is, you know, don't, they always say, kill your darlings. And that kind of is a thing. Don't, don't hang on to every little tiny thing and think you have to have your art. You know, your editors do know what they're talking about. And so any suggestions she made, I took. Um, so I went through and I made some, some global changes that were just, you know, some character stuff. Mm. Um, a little, a little, yeah, cleaning up a little bit of some of the character motivations, that kind of thing. But it wasn't a whole ton of stuff. So and we might then, call that the, we would call that the developmental edit. Okay. And that's where okay. we're looking for continuity of theme and we're looking for, like you said, character motivation, character development. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to get some of the editing stuff wrong, obviously. Um, but yeah, so interrupt. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Please do. And, and it, again, I, it didn't have a whole lot to do, but anything she suggested, I did. She, I remember she gave it to me right before Christmas. And I know um, I, I had tweeted, oh, best Christmas gift ever is I have um, this review to work on. And I meant it. I wasn't being sarcastic. Like Aww, it was like a, nice. a gift to me to like actually have a manuscript to edit for my editor. And <laughs> I love, I love editing anyway. I love revision. So, which I know sounds really weird. But I, I really love revision and I love, you know, getting an input from someone else coming from a different angle that knows what they're talking about, but can see thing, can see the forest for the trees that sometimes writers can't see. Right. And it was like, oh, cool. And so I went in and, and made the suggested changes. And actually, I went through the whole thing and like there were even things I found that once I made the changes Margot wanted, I'm like, well, now this needs to be expanded on a little more and this needs to be tweaked because once she made tweaks then it there were things I needed to fix up uh that like you know kind of like when you shift something everything shifts and you kind of have yeah, to go absolutely. in absolutely yeah like that so I spent the Christmas break break doing that and it was wonderful and amazing and fun and got it back to her early in the year and then after that it was it was the uh, what would you call it Sarah the uh line edits Yep, the line edits yeah. and the copy edits, the very last things yeah. for checking commas, checking spellings, checking capitalizations. How much longer was it that those came in to you? Was it like another couple oh. months maybe? Because you're talking about it, December 2019 and the book came out in October 2020. Right. So I rem these are the dates I remember. Okay. Uh, uh, Margot offered us, made us an offer in April. Okay. Of 2019, right? Yep. And then she had the book until right before Christmas. Mm -hmm. That's normal. Yep. I made my uh, content edit or whatever Sarah called it. And that took me, 
I think I, you know, I kept it like a month, but it really only took, like I did it a couple of weeks because I, I really, like I said, I love revision. So <laughs> I worked like, like, I was like eager to wake up and do it every day. That didn't really take me that long. I had it back to Margo by January. And then she had me, she, I had the, the line edits by, I don't know, spring. I think, I think so. Early that spring. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Early spring. So yeah, we, there's of course a lot of waiting in this game, which we oh, yeah. all know. Yeah. But in that time, in that downtime, you can start a new book. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I love asking authors about that timeline because I think one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest pieces of traditional publishing, which can sometimes get overlooked is these long timelines yeah. and we need yeah. them. We badly, badly, badly need 12 to 18 months in between offer and publication so that the big traditional publishing machine can get its fingers into what I call the sandbox. Like we want it, you know, it's not just an editor, but we have an edit, you know, the editor's job is to package the book and to put it into the catalog for maximum distribution into bookstores and libraries. And so we need the art department to be able to really look at the themes in the book and, and look at, at comparable titles and look at and look at covers. We need, you know, we need the sales and marketing team to have one or two seasons to look at the catalog and to be able to best meet with the distributors in order to get books out there into bookstores and libraries, like I said. We need the publicity and promo team, which is separate from sales and marketing. We need publicity and promo to have lots of time, like six six, four, six months um, or more to be able to get reviews and to be able to set up blog tours and to be able to, you know, get interviews and things like that. And, you know, all those things take a lot of time. So an offer in April and then a developmental edits in December is fairly normal. And again, this is, you know, Alicia's book is published by one of the big five. And so those timelines are longer because there's just such a massive amount of work to get the books out into distribution. Yeah. So that's, that's an excellent point. So after you did copy edits and line edits. Um, did you see the book again or there was a there was a timestamp and we move on? I think she I think I got it. Did I get it twice? I think you got it twice. I, I think I got it twice with the okay. line edits. I do. And 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 obviously so after I saw the line edits, I had a chance to um, look at all the line edits and see mm -hmm. if there was anything. I mean obviously you know, they know what they're doing, but I got to read through it all again. Like at every stage I got to see it. So nobody ever twiddled with it. And then I didn't get to see it. That never happened. Yep. So there yeah. is actually a clause in your contract, which says no material changes can be made to the manuscript without your prior written approval. Uh -oh. Nice. <laughs> Anyway. Sarah has this. Sarah has all this memorized. That's awesome. <laughs> so, um, so authors, of course, should be looking at all these. But Sarah, do you think that there are authors who maybe don't really look over the galley that has the line edits, that they just make some assumptions that that I don't know. Okay. Uh, you know, that's a really good question because um, I tend to check in with an author and say, "Do you feel like those edits were appropriate?" Or do you need me to push back on anything? Mm -hmm. And in 15 years and 400 plus book deals, I've never had anybody say, you, that was terrible. I want to walk away. Yeah. Um, I, whether or not they really look at their line edits, I can't speak to because I'm not double checking in with the author. Like, right. did you actually do the thing or did you not do the thing? I was um, just, just like I'm not checking in with the editor to say, did you do your thing or did I not, you not yeah. do your thing? I guess I was just thinking, um, I wonder if there's a point at which authors think to themselves, um, 
this has been working for the last five books. I'm sure it's fine. And I've got to do book six now. So I'm kind of busy. I scan. I'm sure it's good. I put my stamp on it. <laughs> I definitely think there's more type A authors and less type A authors. Um, but yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I think that, so what, you know, one of the things that I really love hearing about Alicia's experience is that we had a conversation with her proposed editor, Margot. And at this point, the author does still have the opportunity to walk away and to say, no, this editor doesn't have the appropriate, uh, you know, artistic vision for my book. And I don't, I don't trust this, this partnership. Yeah. Now, again, I've never had that happen either, but, but we do have a conversation. Like we get on the phone and it's the author and it's the agent and the editor and the three of us. And we say, you know, what's the editorial vision for this? What do you, where do you see this in your catalog? And the editor usually says, what was your inspiration for the book? And what do you see yourself writing next? And then we get off the phone, we hang up the phone and I get on the phone with the author separately. And I say, I just want to check in with you. This is the walk away moment. If that didn't work for you, let's walk away. And what I love about what you just said, Alicia, is that, you know, we talked to Margo and Margo said, one of the things I really like about this book is the theme that everybody can rescue anybody, that everybody has a chance to be a hero and everybody has a chance to be somebody who needs rescuing. And I feel like that was the moment where all three of us went, yes, this is a good partnership. This is going to work. And then from there, so one of the reasons that Alicia is comfortable saying, I will agree to your editorial changes is because we knew going into the partnership that the editor had had a very strong artistic vision for the book and that we agreed with that artistic vision. I have had clients who have said, you know, I agree with this artistic vision and I like this edit note. I like this edit note, but I don't like this edit note. And that's where we sort of push back and we have a conversation with the editor this particular note doesn't work for us. Uh, and sometimes I step in and make that conversation so that I can be the bad cop. Uh, and sometimes the author does it directly themselves. But I really like what you said just then. I mean, do you feel like, I mean, you weren't just accepting developmental edit changes because you felt like, well, if I don't accept these, they're going to take away my money. Did you feel like Margot really had a good artistic vision and that's why you were comfortable making editorial changes? The leading question, sorry, but <laughs> oh no, no, <laughs> and it's absolutely true. I did. I mean, I I trusted her, and the thing she suggested, she she made it better. I mean, she she absolutely made the 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 story. She didn't change it to what she wanted. Uh, she it was like she knew what I wanted to say when sometimes I didn't know what I wanted to say, and she said it better if that makes any sense. Like she took- well, that's what we want to hear. That's yeah. a great answer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She she knew what I, in some places, she knew what I had been trying to say and made it better, made me say it better. And I was very grateful for that because like nice. she could see that. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I meant to do, but I didn't exactly achieve it, did I? And then when I took her suggestion, I achieved what I meant to do. Nice. Yeah. So Kitty, since your month long um, project is on editing and this, yeah. you know, this is, we've just been talking now about an author working with an editor at a big five publishing house. What are the kinds of questions do you think your listeners or your attendees would be interested in, in that part of it? Yeah. Okay. So having to do with working with the editor, um, there is very occasionally, and you know, it's like so many of our other stories. Um, we tell the story of the weird thing that happened, even <laughs> though like we forget to say, by the way, this doesn't really happen that often. But if um, you had gotten the 
uh, offer in April and then something happened and Margot was no longer with the project, then what happens when you get assigned another editor? And should people even, because I, I'm about ready to ask a leading question too. I don't think that people should worry about this tiny possible thing happening, but I know that it's a story that gets told about authors that, um, well, I won't mention publishing companies. It happens everywhere. It, somebody moves on or whatever. And now the author that you originally pitched to who loved your book is not the author that you're going to end up working with. Is there anything that you think people should be thinking about at all? And if it happens, um, you know, I'm thinking again, you've got that walk away moment, but is there, are there any tips that you can like really try to make it work and not just make some assumptions, fearful assumptions that, uh oh, it's not my person. <laughs> my person's gone. Uh, well, I can answer that from my perspective is unfortunately it happens frequently. It more it than isn't. I thought. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at, we have layoffs. Yeah. We have COVID. We have people changing jobs. We have people being promoted. We have people quitting or leaving publishing. All of these things are legitimate, you know, all these things are legitimate things that happen. Yeah. Um, it, it happens frequently. So Alicia is still, you know, we have another two books coming out. We have another contract with uh, Mira, which is an, again, an imprint of Harlequin, which is part of HarperCollins. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, in theory, we have three books with this editor in the near in the coming years. So I guess the question goes over to you as the author, Alicia, like, you know, somebody sends us a note saying, I've been promoted, I won't be working on this, somebody else will be working on this, what would be your, I guess, what would be your questions? It's not happening. <laughs> but, you know, that's a good question, but it does happen frequently. So I guess what would be your concerns or questions? Um, you know, I, I, I'm a really pretty laid back and loose living kind of person. Like, you know, if that, if that happened, obviously, I'd, you know, be sad and miss Margo. She's been great, but I'd be open to, um, who was coming up next. I would want to know, like, so have, had this person worked with Margo or, or, you know, like, were they, were they brand new on board and didn't know much about her or her works or had they worked with her? And mm -hmm. you, you know how when anybody leaves a job, did someone just come in or did the person that was there before train the person yeah. that came in? And if that's the case, then it may be a pretty smooth transition. If they're brand new to it, it could still work out great, but I would probably want to know that. Like, do they know anything about what you've been doing or any of my, my stories or any of that at all? Um, if not, yep. okay. You know, and then I guess from there, you just, you just see how it goes. Um, yep. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, Sarah. No, I think that's a great response. And I yeah. think that, you know, frequently we will get that kind of information in an email and it comes to the agent first. And it's, you know, it's been a joy working with you. And unfortunately, my last day is Friday and here's who's <laughs> going to be. But it happens. It ha I mean, I have a database, right? And I could tell you how many times it's happened even this year. I won't oh. because that would require me to take my eyeballs off of the screen <laughs> and look at my database. And that is not interesting to anyone. But it, does, it happens frequently, right? And so we, I get the email first. And then every single time an email goes to the author and they say, and this person knows your series really well and has fought really hard to work on it. I don't know if that's true or not, right? <laughs> Hopefully it's true, but, but that's how it's always phrased. Is this, here's this person who's going to be taking over your series and they're a huge fan of your writing. It's almost always worded that way. <laughs> um, and I, again, I haven't had a whole heck of a lot of poor experiences, even in transitions. There's always a lot of nerves, but I think that that yeah. comes like 
we, we do our best to do a little bit of extra communicating during those times. Yeah. So I will make notes in my calendar, which says, you know, it's been a week, check back in with the author, see how they're feeling. Have they heard from the new editor? Do they feel like they want to make a phone call with the new editor? And then when the edit notes come in, especially if the author's feeling particularly nervous, I say, how do you feel about those edit notes? Are they, are they, did they, you know, in, in Alicia's case, you know, we really want this series thematically to be about, you know, strong people and how vulnerability and strength go hand in hand. And so I would want that the next books in the series that any edits coming in would look to those themes. So I would say, do you feel that this next edit letter matches what you wanna do artistically? And usually like 99% of the time, the answer is yes, actually this edit letter, because again, like Lisa said, it's a team. Yeah. You know, Margo has not acquired the book in a vacuum. Margo has not edited the book in a vacuum. Margo has not packaged the book in a, in a, book in a vacuum. Yeah. And so yeah. if, if the editor were to change, then the editor is coming into a team that is already familiar with the brand. And especially one of the, my favorite things about working, especially with Harlequin, is they really do such a very, very good job of branding and international distribution. And so, you know, we have just a ton, I mean, not a ton, dozens and dozens of people familiar with the brand and familiar with the strategy for the brand, which of course I feel like makes the author feel like maybe they're just a puzzle and a piece of, of a puzzle, but <laughs> right? band, it means you're walking into something that's like a really, really strong yeah. infrastructure. Yeah. So a really long feel, answer Alicia? for one question. <laughs> no, no, this is good. And, okay. and Alicia, does it feel like, um, like you can feel a little bit less nervous with your first book when you know, there's so many people who they know what they're doing and, and you're figuring it out. Cause they're kind of teaching you by doing their job. Yeah. You know, you know, something they did really hit home to me. I knew it was a team effort, but when they, they did this cute little thing, um, right after the book came out, like the week of the debut, um, everybody on Mar Mar Margo's team, uh, they made an Instagram post. Everybody had their pet. I think everybody had a dog. Maybe <laughs> someone had a cat, but I think everyone had a dog. Like, and there were like five, six, seven of them. And they all posed with their dog and my book <gasps> and made this cute little Instagram post. And I was like, who are all these other people with my book and their dogs? And I knew it was her team and I knew a team worked on it, but I had only ever seen Margot. So it was like, I felt like, well, I'm really part of this really cool team that loves my book. And they're even their dogs love my book. And <laughs> it, was, it was so cool. And so, yeah, I don't know if that answered the question, but that, yeah. that moment was where I went, oh my gosh, everybody is like really on board with like really loving this book and trying to make it, you know, mm -hmm. a success. That's and awesome. I think that's one of the biggest differences when people choose self-publishing versus traditional publishing. It's got less to do with price point and covers and release dates and whatever. It's personality. I find that the clients I work with really value that infrastructure and that team approach. And people who thrive in self-publishing really value the autonomy. And both are fine. Both are fine. But I think that's a really big discussion to have with oneself before, you know, we quote unquote choose traditional publishing or self-publishing is, is my personality, I want to have control over my package or is my personality, I love the, you know, the infrastructure and the team support. And honestly, it can even change book to book. Yeah. And it can change, you know, but, but it is for sure different author to author. 
Yeah. And I do talk about that with my clients is like it, you know, one of the reasons, again, we have 18 months between offer and, and publication is because there's so much infrastructure and, you know, we talk about that a lot. Well, what is the infrastructure? We're not getting emails from our sales and marketing team every week. We're not getting emails from the publicity team every week. Who are all these people and what do the they do? And that's a lot of the educating that the agent does behind the scenes in order to get the author prepped to do what is potentially a career of, of writing. Right. And, and I think it's editorial anyway, sorry. Right. Yeah, no, no, this is great. And I, I hope that listeners are really kind of thinking through, um, this is not necessarily a talk about um, traditionally publishing a book. This is a right. talk about publishing a book. And if you decide that I have the personality that I by myself am going to create my team, these are all the different kinds of team members that you're going to need if you don't know that yet. And um, you probably need more team members than you think, which you will figure out as you go. And you're like, oh my gosh, I need someone to do this. <laughs> or I have to do these 72 things and not be working on writing the next book. So there's a well, lot to he learn here. Sorry, just to interject, but one of the yeah. most important things that Alicia just said is that the person who does the developmental edits is always different than the person who does the line edits and is usually different than the person who does the copy edits. Those are three distinct talents. You know, so I, I am not going to go to the orthopedist if I need my hair cut, yeah. right? And it's similar in editing. We, if, we are, if we are independently publishing, if we're self-publishing, we need, in theory, to hire a developmental editor, a copy editor, and a line editor. And yeah. it's rare that, that, that somebody is going to provide all three of those services, which is something that we ask in advance. Obviously, when we're traditionally publishing, the big five houses all have, those are all members of the team. And we don't always hear from the copy editor and the line editor, but we hear from the developmental editor, who's usually our point person a lot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so now we have worked with a lot of teammates, um, many of whom, Alicia, apparently you didn't even really know were there and maybe <laughs> didn't know exactly know what they were doing, but you were glad they were helping you. <laughs> so then what happens after, uh, is the, is the uh, line copy edit, is this the final proof or is there one more? I think that was about, I mean, that's usually about it. Then it, you know, it, because um, we had such a paper shortage during the pandemic or, or having such a paper shortage, print arcs, which is the advanced review copy, aren't always made. They have wow. very, very, very rarely been made this year. Wow. But the publisher, the traditional publisher will then upload the advanced reader copy digitally to places like NetGalley, um, which is how we get trade reviews like New York Times and LA Times and Washington Post and Publishers Weekly and Kirkus and you know, Booklist and School Library Journal and Library Journal, et cetera. And those places, the big trade companies usually need the final book in digital copy at least four months before publication date. Four months. And that's just to get the reviews and that- uh, That's to be market. pitched to get a review. Right. So for example, you know, um, HarperCollins, the Harlequin HarperCollins team will pitch 10,000 books a year to Booklist. Right, yeah. Then the, the team at Booklist will choose which of those books they want to read. And then they will choose which of those books that they've read that they want to review. Wow. Okay. That sounds like a terrifyingly small number. <laughs> well, what did you, I mean, you got some really, really good reviews, Alicia. I don't remember which of the, the trade publishers 
Um, I got a starred book list review. That's wow. Very prestigious. That's awesome. And, Congratulations. And thank you. And, um, and I got a publisher's weekly review, oh, which was very nice. It was also a very nice review. Um, so those are the two that I saw. Um, and of course I remember them because it's my book and Sarah has got like a hundred thousand books to remember that about, but I only have one. So that's why I remember. Nice. <laughs> I bet I could find those reviews pretty quickly, but again, I'd have to go to my database, which I won't do. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Every time you say database, I'm like, I just really have always loved you, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a data nerd, but what do you say? <laughs> All right. So Alicia, what's the next, um, Let's see, we're talking about editing. So even though there's a lot of businessy things that we could be talking about, like what are the next stages in, in what you do? Maybe now's a good time, Sarah, to kind of um, come back around and talk about like what happened before you sent the book out. Is that where you wanted to go with what you do as an agent? I, I mean, that makes sense to me because basically we've looked at book offer to publication now. Um, and that the editing part of that, that's really the professional part. Like that's the stuff that listeners talking about editing and, you know, in the month of December on your YouTube and on your Facebook page and et cetera, that's the big chunk of it. But there's this little chunk of it that happens before, um, you know, if a person wants to do quote unquote traditional publishing with the big five companies, they need an agent because these big five companies, except for a couple of loopholes per in the year, uh, only accept submissions via agent. So let's back up. Um, I would say that every one of my clients has a different story to tell from sending a query letter to getting a book deal. So, you know, the, 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 broadest generalization I will explain and then I'll have Alicia tell her story because it's awesome. <laughs> oh good. <laughs> um, it's it's totally one of the you know loophole stories. It's fabulous. Um, the broadest generalization I can make is that when an author sends out a query letter, which is that you know one or two paragraph summary of the book in looking for an agent, and they get an offer from an agent or they get an offer from several agents. One of the questions that comes up frequently is, dear agent, are you an editorial agent? And I think that's an important question because like we're talking about editing for this entire month, we see if we pull back this, this curtain a little bit, how much of a team approach it is and how many people are gonna have input into this author's creative and artistic process. And an author might like Alicia be very, very calm or an author might be really, really, really nervous. And wherever that author is on that, on that spectrum, they need to have, they need to feel confident that the agent and then eventually the editor and then eventually the editor's team have their best artistic interests at heart. Okay. Yeah. So in signing with me, I always, always say, no, I am not an editorial agent. And that's really important. I'm a sales agent. Like my focus, when I look in the slush pile, which is um, not a derogatory term at all, it's a good term. The slush pile is all those queries that come in. When I look in the slush pile, I am looking for books to sell. I am not looking for books to work on. Um, and some authors will have a conversation with me and say, oh my gosh, that, thank you so much for letting me know. That's not the relationship I'm looking for. And that's perfect. It's way better to know that up front. Yeah. Many, many, many agents, including most of my colleagues at KT Literary are editorial agents. Meaning when they offer representation, they will say, and I have 
a considerable amount of editorial feedback to give you on this project before we take it to potential editors. And that's great. It's not a skill that I have. Um, but it is great. And then the agent usually will give that editorial feedback. And then it's the author's, you know, responsibility to go, oh, yes, that is the kind of feedback I want. Yes, that's the kind of work I want to do. I'm really, really glad. And again, both are fine. So I am not particularly an editorial agent. When I get to be an editorial agent is like on book two. So we've gone through the process of book one. We have a one book deal. And now we're ready to go out on submission with the next thing. Frequently, what clients will do is they'll say, I have four ideas, here are the four ideas, and what do you think is gonna work best with my brand and with the market? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the broad overview. So Elise, would you like to tell our story? There's <laughs> <laughs> actually sure. nothing like that, okay. <laughs> are we talking about, you want me to tell the story when um, I queried you, that one? You can do, I mean, whatever you feel comfortable. I think, I mean, it's fun when talking about like editorial, It's I think it's fun to hear everybody's stories and yours was different because it was it was this mashup sort of approach that we took to rescue you so i think i think that's got it okay (laughs) so for so for rescue you um and this was not my first book or even the book i queried sarah with (laughs) but we 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 kept working and um i had written i had written the if you've read rescue or even part of it you'll see the fitness and the strong women and Constance and all that. And that was all there. Like I had written this woman finds herself through fitness, you know, rediscovers who she is, comes out of her, you know, slump of losing her father and all this, that was all there. And I turn it into Sarah <laughs> and she's like, yes, but put the dogs <laughs> in it. <laughs> so I had written. I had written this other book that had a dog rescue and another strong heroine. And she's like, put these together. This is one book. And, and my, and like, I didn't say this to Sarah, but in my head, I was like, that's, that's not going to work. That's really not going to (laughs) work. And I forget what I wrote back to her. I wrote back to her something like, well, you know, maybe, you know, whatever. And she's, she wrote back and she's like, just trust me, just do it, just do it. And then we'll go from there. So I did it. And, as I'm working, I'm like, wait, this actually is working, you know? And like, once we put that in there, like everything, like the, the revision of course was hefty because yeah. I had it completed and it didn't have the re- rescue at all. And I had to like, you know, like Frankenstein these books together. <laughs> but make it but, look like the American beauty model. <laughs> but who, yeah, but who doesn't, yes, exactly. Funny. But who doesn't love Frankenstein? So, you know, it, it, I mean, it worked and it came together and, and, and um, by the, t- like Margot, she was one of the, f- like, we didn't query a million agent uh, editors on this book. I mean, she was one of the first we queried it and she was like, yes. So, I mean, it worked. So Sarah's brilliant. The moral of the story is Sarah's brilliant. And she says she's not an editorial agent, but she's good at it. Even if she doesn't do it, she is good at it. So, so, so you were saying, Sarah, that you're a sales agent. So what you saw was, um, I, and I'm, uh, this is a question, even though I'm making it like a statement, uh, in some way, Alicia had pitched you more than one idea. And you said, from a sales perspective, I can see how putting these two ideas together would be a strong sell. Well, I think it's, you know, so I'm going to show the cover again, because it's so awesome. It is and I know beautiful. not everybody can see it, but you know, this is so rescue you. Okay, is um, when I look at the market, uh, we have strong women in this book. 
we have sisters. It's a sister story, which is right? Nice. It, which is so refreshing and and joyous and and intimate and fam- familial, right? Yeah, sisters, We're, by the way, who like each other and love each right? other. <laughs> yes, and support each other and get each other and like, yeah. It's and and then we have war veterans, which is like it's it's a it's a sensitive heart. What's the, what's the, not heart wrenching. What's the other one? Heart fulfilling story. Like Rhett's story is heart fulfilling. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, we have exercise, right? So my idea of exercise is running to get my wine. <laughs> okay. And, and yet when I read this and I hear, and I, I, I remember the feeling of like, I used to be able to climb a rope. Right. And there's this, there's this um, early on, there's a scene where Constance, first tries to climb the rope and I, and I could feel the heart, the, the great of the rope because I remember that. And I remember how, you know, you describe her having rug burns on her yeah. hand. I'm like, yeah, I remember that. And so even for me, it was, it was a book that was like really, really, really compelling and, and, and visceral. We have all of those elements that work. We have, a, you know, we have a romance element. We have, we have a, we have a uh, feminism element. All of the things are amazing. And then there's, you know, before Alicia had pitched to me this idea of um, a pit bull rescue and the idea that pit bulls are, are incorrectly labeled as a dangerous breed. And I think that book was even called Dangerous Breed. Oh, and, wow. You know, the idea of these vulnerable animals who, like you said, maybe were neglected, maybe were abused. Um, the, the rescue you opens with, you know, uh, Constance rescuing a female pit bull who, had pu- who has puppies. And, you know, the female pit bull had been used, had been abused. And, it, you know, and so that is such a strong, strong, strong aspect, element, thematic element, pretty much to anything. You know, yeah. I could rescued pit bulls, literally, I could put them in my romance, I could put them in my you know, fantasy novels, I could put, and, it, and it's something that so many people want. It's easy for booksellers to sell. It's easy for librarians to get behind. It's easy for book clubs to get behind. Like it's a really strong thematic element. So yeah, you, Kitty, you said, did you just sort of see these things and say, mash them together? And yeah, I was looking at the market and going, you know, we have feminism, we have war veterans, we have sisters, we have romance, we have, we have athletes and exercise, and we have dogs. And you put all those things together. And then we talk about like all the teammates at Mira Harlequin who have to work on the package. There's so much there that they can work with, yeah. right? It's, it's like the opposite of the quiet novel that's about, you know, growing up. Because right. when it's a quiet novel about learning to grow up, then you go, the editor goes into their, their team and is like, it's a quiet novel about learning to grow up. Not this one. <laughs> this one, <laughs> like, you know, Margot can go into her, meet with her people and say, you know, there's all these things we can lean it, quote unquote, lean into. We can lean, yeah. you know, and this speaks to the editorial also for people who are editing. Look at your themes in the books. We can lean into the dogs. We can lean into the feminism. We can lean into the romance, the war veterans, the sisters, the exercise. All of these things, um, you know, are going to be talking points that will attract potential readers' interest. Yeah. So it's a really long answer, but that's, you know, that's how editing can be looked at from a market perspective. And if somebody is an author working with a big five publisher or an author independently publishing, when you're looking at editing, the, the you know, the big difference between just writing in a bubble and then publishing in, in the publishing industry is, 
mar- is the marketing, it's the packaging aspect. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, if I'm writing for myself and it doesn't ever have to go to a reader, then it doesn't have to adhere to tropes and et cetera. But if I'm looking to put my book into the publishing world, which is an industry, yeah. then you know, from an editorial perspective, this, this deep dive into themes is the most important thing we can do editorially. I mean, yeah. certainly the craft has to be strong, but you know, if our craft is really strong and it's a quiet book about learning to grow up, you know, that's one kind of package. If it's a book club friendly book with all these themes in it, that's a different kind of package. And that yeah. package has a lot bigger potential market, yeah. which is how we make sales. And promotion as well. I mean, Alicia, you guys were talking about how um, in a in a COVID social distancing uh, book launch, you were actually able to have one at your gym. But if you didn't have that, you could have also had one at a pet rescue. You could have had one at a wounded warriors location. You could have had one at like five more places that are all seemingly unrelated to each other, except for they're all intrinsically tied into your book. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There are so many, so many pieces of this book. And a couple of people, a lot of people have made that comment um, that there's so much going, so many little pieces in the book, so many different themes that it's like, if you're not into one thing, there's going to be something <laughs> that you're into that's in this book. That's right. So, and, and as people that know me really well, um, have made the comment. It's almost like you took like all these little pieces of yourself and put them all in the book and you know, fitness and the dogs and the, <laughs> the massaging. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of did. Didn't I? <laughs> I have to say, I did wonder like, how long will it take until we can fly safely? And then I can go see Alicia or maybe I'll have her come out here. Cause I really want to see whether or not she gives massages the way she describes them in the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Yeah, actually. I, I do. The way I was trained um, as a therapist was, you know, every, every massage is going to be different. Yeah. You can go to a, a chain massage place and you may get a really great massage and you may not, you know, you may get the massage that they've memorized and rehearsed and that they <laughs> yeah. give to everyone. But the way my teacher taught me was, um, you know, every person is a different massage because they got something else going on that yeah. you have to massage to their body or their spirit or their whatever's going on with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you massage wounded warriors. Yes. Um, yeah, I do. I work for, um, about work for, but a volunteer for <laughs> cause, um, comfort for America's uniformed service members. They are wounded warriors. Um, and I go to Fort, Fort Belvoir. Um, it, it goes on twice a month and it's when, um, wounded service members can get a free 35 minute massage um nice from us and i mean it's it's amazing it's wow. an amazing program it's the best nice yeah. okay so now i have a question for you um so you were pitching this agent that sounded like she'd be good and then she gave you this crazy idea that you were pretty sure wasn't going to work <laughs> so so i have two questions one is pretty close to a yes or no question had you guys actually decided to sign an agreement before um making this big change or was it make this big change let's see what happens and then we'll decide whether or not we want to work together that's the shorter question i was wondering so Sarah and I, Sarah and I were, Sarah was my agent before that. Okay. And this, yeah. So. So it wasn't like this was the decision moment. No, okay. no, I, no, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically what happened here was this was a, this was a, an idea that Sarah looked at and said, Hey, let's smush all this together. And there, there was no, like, like we didn't know whether, whether it was going to work or not, but we're like, Hey, we're going to go for this. And we yeah. were both game. We yeah. were both game to like, just see, see if this was going to happen or not. Yeah. And Okay. So this leads into the second question. Cause this, this sounds like a big project. You said that your first thought was, I don't think it's going to work, but I'm going to give it a try, which reminds me very much of Constance <laughs> in your book. <laughs> um, so, so here you are, you've got, um, if I'm understanding it right, uh, two full manuscripts that are already written, but unpublished. Um, and now somebody said, take the idea from the one and, and add it to the other one. Um, that is a ginormous head change. So tell us what was this self-editing process that you had to go through before you could even create something that you were even willing to show Sarah? Okay. Yeah. So she comes at me with the idea and I, I don't know if I was thinking this won't work, but I was thinking this is going to be tricky. This is going to be tricky and it's going to be a lot of work. Now I'm not afraid of hard work. So I'm like, you know, Says the woman in the gym behind her, if you're not watching right. on Facebook, on YouTube, <laughs> I'm not afraid of hard work. I can do this. So I think it had to be, um, in the first book, there weren't, there wasn't the idea of the war veteran. And in the second book there was, so in the first book, the dogs are being rescued. And in the second book, the hero and the heroine are kind of rescuing each other. So it really was a matter of getting my head around that theme of, oh, we're all going to rescue each other. And then it made sense. And then I could see the genius behind Sarah's plan <laughs> of Frankensteining these together. They, they really weren't, um, you know, on paper, it kind of looked like, um, how are these going to fit? But then once I really thought about the themes in the book that Margot was so good at highlighting, it made sense where it all fit. I hope that answered your question. Yeah. So for people listening, they might still be thinking, okay, but I just have like this 60,000 word ginormous thing and I have to figure out where I'm going to go with it. So it sounds like your best piece of advice to people listening who happen to be in editing space right now is look over kind of the 30,000 foot foot view of your story. Look for themes, look for things that look like um, they may be related, even though you maybe didn't even realize you were doing two related things like rescuing dogs and rescuing people. Is that where you think was like the best tip for you when you did this? Yeah. So to relate this to Nano, because I know your, your whole thing's about NaNoWriMo, right? So editing, but mostly because we're watching NaNo. Yeah. My understanding with NaNoWriMo, I've never officially done it. Um, I've challenged myself to it, sometimes not even in November, to get something done. Yeah. But my understanding is that when you're finished, it's 50K, 50,000 words. The goal is to try to write 50,000 words a okay. month. Yeah. Okay. So an actual adult novel, I don't know about children, Sarah could answer that, but a, a typical adult romance or women's fiction or science fiction fantasy novels are typically 100K twice as much as that. So my guess is the point of nano is to get the, the basic stuff down. And then you're going to add another 40 to 50 K fleshing everything out. That'd be my guess. So 
for me, I had to take two manuscripts that were a hundred K each. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> Literally like, you know, surgeon surgically removing this and this, and then weaving it back together. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going kind of around in circles with your question, but yes. So people that have done nano or people who are in that editing process where they've got the whole, they've got the gist down, they've got the bones, if you will, down on the paper. Now they have to add the flesh and the blood and all that kind of stuff. And that could be a matter of, you know, you read back through it and you go, oh, I didn't even realize that this and this were paralleling each other or this and this were a foil to each other. They're going to see all those things and then they're going to start adding the flesh and the, the blood and the organs and all that kind of stuff. If we're on this theme of Frankenstein. I love this Frankenstein <laughs> thing. We're just keeping, we're just going with it. <laughs> right. And I also would recommend um, once you get that 50K down, you might want to wait a week or two so that when you go back to it, it's fresh. You know, wait, wait. And so you can see it with kind of fresh eyes. Um, if you yeah. can hold off that long, writers have a hard time doing that. So. <laughs> That's true. But it'll help you to see the 50,000 foot view instead. I keep making yeah. the view higher, but you guys know what I'm yeah, trying to say. Right? <laughs> it'll help you to see the big picture <laughs> if it hasn't been something that you were just working on a couple of days ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You'll see it with new eyes. Sarah, that do answer you? Your yeah, yeah, this is okay. this is good. Um, and so I'm just wondering, you know, Sarah, if you have any thoughts on things that you've um, heard or suggested to other authors that you're working with when they're still in the stage where they haven't finished the piece that they need to get to you, but sometimes people get stuck. Yep. I love Alicia's feedback. Give it two weeks, put it, shelve it for two weeks and then come back to it. I would also say read widely. Yeah. For some people that works, especially in one's own genre, especially books that have been published this year by major New York publishing houses, especially by debut authors. Right. That's a good point. Debut authors, yeah. not somebody who's got their 45th book out this month. Yeah, Because you know what's, we, you know, that Alicia's is the one that got acquired just two years ago. So that, yeah, that's much more likely to tell you what kind of tropes and, and voice is working right now. Yeah. Good point. If I can, there were, there have been two tweets um, recently that really helped me through some of the stuff that you're talking about. And these are from big name people who know what they're talking about. Um, so one of them was from uh, Stephen Graham Jones, the horror author. And he had said, what do you do if you get writer's block? And his response was, I lower my writing standards. Oh, good one. Oh, that's brilliant. And yeah, yeah and he is. He's brilliant. And he wasn't being sarcastic. You know, what he does is expects less of himself right now just to get it out. And yeah. then you go back and you expect more of yourself later. Wow. Okay. We need and to have then, that guy on the show. <laughs> right. Right. And then the other one was from V.E. Schwab. And she said, um, the thing about that Sarah said about reading wide, widely, uh, she says she reads all the time and it is part of her work. It mm -hmm. is not, she does not consider it wasting her time or being frivolous or giving herself a treat. It is actually part of her job to read widely if she's going yep. to be a writer. Nice. I like so. it. And as an agent, I do that. I, part of my job is to read non-client books okay. because when I call Margot at Mira, 
you know, Harlequin, you know, I have to say, Margo, I read this book that you published a couple months ago and I really liked it. And I think that this client that I'm submitting to you, her book is going to fit really well in your catalog. Yeah. It's part of my job to read widely in the genres that I represent. Nice. I love it. That's, that's great. So the people who, um, either have it in their head that they shouldn't be reading in the genre that they're writing in at the time that they're writing or um, have heard it. And so are sometimes I get the feeling that people have this fearful idea of, oh, I know I'm not supposed to, but that is the exact opposite of what you feel like is probably going to be most helpful. Well, if, if an author can't, if an author is writing a women's fiction novel like Rescue You, and they can't read other women fiction novels right then because it affects their artistic process, then don't do it, that's fine. But if an author is looking for a, a suggestion, like one of my suggestions would be to do that. And mm -hmm. then if they just can't, I mean, it's not a deal breaker. Yeah. It's just a suggestion that I share. Keep and writing, keep reading. Right. Okay. So worst case scenario, if you're afraid that you might accidentally copy somebody else's storyline, then don't read in the genre you're writing in, but read widely anyway, in all the other places I that sure you like. Would. I yeah. sure would. Or wait until you're done with that novel, read for a couple of weeks and then go back to your novel for the editing process. Yes. I remember when I started, I, I desperately wanted to write for Harlequin American. It was the one line that they had that I just, I loved every single book and yep. I probably read, and I went to a writer's conference. It was probably my second or third year writing. And, um, you know, there's an editor and author uh, agent panel on the, on the stage. And somebody said with great authority, you should read at least a hundred in the Harlequin line that you're interested in before you know what it is that we want. And I thought, okay. So I went to garage sales and used bookstores. And by the time I'd read a hundred of them, they were beginning to think that maybe they'd be shutting down the line. And I was like, oh to get my proposal into you first oh, it took no. me like a year to read a hundred of them <laughs> uh, so but if i can say yeah yeah oh, no go ahead no about that about the reading um obviously you need to be be reading what you're writing but that said i <laughs> i read a lot of i like i'll read everything and I particularly love the horror genre, which people yeah. aren't going to expect reading my books. <laughs> and right, I don't know um, you're talking about this. <laughs> right, people are like, she reads horror. Wait, what? I love horror, and I honestly think reading in other genres makes me a much better writer. Not yeah. not just reading what I write. If I just read what I write, I think it's kind of tunnel vision. Um, I, I really think reading widely in various genres um, makes me a better writer. Yeah. I think, you, you know, author to author, I am totally with you. I, you, you can't actually see all the books on my shelf behind me, but uh, there's a lot of genres all the way back to like old Louis L'Amour. I love old Louis oh, I love him. He's yeah. like one of the most like romance oriented storytellers. Yeah. But right Westerns, through, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right up through, yeah. um, man, Stephen King's The Institute I got last yep. Christmas for a Christmas present. And I was just like, okay, it's Christmas vacation. This book is, I don't know, 800 pages. I don't know how big it was big. And I was like, I am not going to do anything but read this book. And it took me four months to read it because it was so flipping good. And I hadn't read a book this good in so long that I only wanted to sit down when I had like an hour and I could have a cup of hot cocoa. And like, I just, I like absorbed it. I'm like, and then I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out on the instant. Like what's going to happen? I'm like, no, turn the page slowly. Like keep the anticipation up, you know? <laughs> 
but then it makes you think about, oh, you know, in my story, like, it doesn't have to be scary, but like, how can I keep the anticipation up, you know? Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, yep. This is so fun, you guys. I, and I could always keep on talking forever. And, and I like to make a joke somewhere. There's somebody listening to this on a treadmill going, please stop talking. <laughs> I need to stop exercising. <laughs> or, um, you know, and Sarah, I just saw that you don't think that you're alone in this. You made a joke about um, exercising to go down and, and buy a bottle of wine. <laughs> this morning I was like, okay, you know, I slept poorly, but I know exercise is going to make me feel better. And oh my gosh, there's snow where I live, which we don't really get snow where, where I'm at in Sweden that much, uh, which is kind of weird. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get all ready. I'm going to go on an exercise walk and I'm going to take my wallet just in case, because I probably should pick up some more vitamin C at the, <laughs> at the vitamin store. But what I came home with was peanut butter Oreos, miniature oh. Snickers, because if I buy the miniatures, <laughs> I'll eat fewer of them, you know, but then I had to buy the miniature bounty coconut bars for John because, you know, he likes that. And then I bought this and this and this, and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how many exercise walks I'm going to have to take in order to make up for the calories <laughs> I just bought. And in Sweden, oh. they have this big thing about advent calendars, which there's so many things here that um, just like kind of strike me as funny because like America calls itself a Christian com uh, country a lot of times, but then there's all these things where like, mm, not so much that, um, but there's all these um, Christian holidays in Sweden, but yep. it's like totally secular. So <laughs> there's all these advent calendars everywhere. And today I was like, okay, I know that this is just like another way to get me to buy candy, but I bought an advent calendar where every single one of the 24 ones is a dark chocolate with an infusion of some sort of alcohol, like coin throw or whiskey. Yes. I'm like, yeah, I'm buying that one. And that God, I, I still, I still love advent too, but I'm buying the chocolate advent calendar. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is, I, I've been to Sweden myself and my husband has been there four or five times now. And I remember we landed, let's see, the last time we were there, it must've been right before Easter. And when our hotel room gave us the fika with the puff pastry in it. Oh yeah. Which is, which is eight Sama? and Easter, Sama, yeah. And I was like, oh, so it's a Christian country. And they're like, no, not at all. I'm like yeah. you're literally giving me an Easter cake as I <laughs> welcome to my hotel room. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that's, I mean, we ate Sama the whole entire week. It was, and yeah. I'm wearing, for anyone who's there, I'm wearing my Piteo shirt. Because I've been, uh, we landed in Stockholm and flew to Piteo. And believe me, it snows up, actually we flew to Luleo. But we, it snows up there because I remember flying in and looking down and there's this entire um, airport landing strip covered in snow. I'm like, excuse me, where are we landing? They're like, oh yeah, no. <laughs> la, 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 la. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I really want to go further north um, at it's some point. Beautiful. Yeah. If I ever run away from my job, Alicia, just so you know, if I ever run away, I will be in Piteo, Sweden. I'll find <laughs> you. Little old guy, like, well, what do you do for fun up here? He goes, oh, well, we can walk across the Baltic Sea to Finland. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Oh, this is great. You guys, this is really great. I think if people are really listening and looking for tips, they're going to find that you guys gave a lot of tips. So thank you so much for that. Okay, but it's also important that people know where can they find each of you and Alicia, your awesome first book. 
Oh, awesome. So uh, my website's probably the best place, aliciawhistler.com. It's got all my, you know, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I think those are the three I'm on. And also links to um, where you can buy Rescue You. And I always have the independent bookstores on top. So those links oh, will be nice. first. <laughs> Nice. And of course, you know, anywhere you buy books, pretty much you can find it. I've had a lot of spottings in, in Walmart and Target and all over the country. And so, yeah, that's where you can find me. Yeah. And, and I, and my name is one of a kind. You're not going to mix me up with someone else. Yes. So, So, you know, why don't you spell it just for people who don't have pen and paper near them, but we'll make sure it's in the show notes as well. (laughs) Thank you. It's so, uh, E L Y S I A. W-H-I-S-L-E-R. Awesome. That's my whole name. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And Sarah, what if people want to contact you? Where can they find you online? I think the two easiest places are ktliterary.com and on Twitter at Sarah Megabow, S-A-R-A-M-E-G-I-B-O-W. And I tell people that I do answer professional questions on Twitter as time allows. And I was just looking to see who the narrator was because Alicia's book is also an audiobook and it's phenomenal. Narrated by the wonderful Lisa Larson. And she has nailed the heroine or the main heroine is Constance. She has nailed in the narration, wow. like Constance's vulnerability and strength as a personality. And it's just fantastic. So yeah, a Rescue You is available in print ebook and audiobook and hopefully in lots and lots of countries overseas also i'll know more about that after our first royalty statement yeah that was a long answer but yeah kpliterary.com for submissions and twitter at sarah megabow perfect and for people living in other countries outside the u.s or north america um all i have to do is take the the book author and title it to my local bookstore and um and then they click order and then i get it yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's called an export deal and we usually sign lots of those in the contracts and for people who um are you know as many people are struggling right now financially especially with covid when we order from our libraries the authors do get paid for that and we make a lot of money that way so please go to your library and say, I'd like for you to order Rescue You by Alicia Whistler, and then the library will order it, and we will still make money. Nice. Well done. And I love libraries. I thank them for just existing, so and gives everybody an opportunity to read the book no matter where you're at in in this crazy life that we all are sharing. Thank goodness we get to share it, though. We don't have to live it alone. Listen, thank you, you guys. This has been super fun. I'm glad you had this great idea. (laughs) Well, thank you for inviting us. Yes, thank you so much. So much fun.